Genesis chapter 1, we'll begin by reading Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, and I'm actually going to read Genesis 2, because we'll be interacting with that a little bit more for tonight's catechism lesson. And then number 10, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that's found on page 870. We can read that answer together after we read God's Word. But I'll read, we're considering tonight the creation of man, of Adam and Eve, of human beings in the image of God, and some of the, the implications of, of that very wonderful doctrine. So I'll read Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and then Genesis 2. Hear God's holy word as it is read in, in the midst of his people. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Amen. And then chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, It runs along the east side of the Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. 
And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Westminster Shorter Catechism 10, page 870, the back of the red. Let's read the answer together. How did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. One of the great things about seeing the big picture of Scripture is how the book of Revelation really rehashes a lot of the book of Genesis and brings the world, the cosmos, the human race to a a consummation, to a fitting end. And, And in Revelation, we see the tree of life mentioned a couple of different times as being in the new heavens and the new earth. So that which God placed in the Garden of Eden is there at the end of all things as well, reminding us that God will not fail to bring us to that telos, that end for which we were created. God made us for a purpose. He made us with a design so that we would do certain things and glorify Him in those ways. What we find as we trace some of those themes throughout Scripture is that we were made to know God. We were made to to know Him, to have a knowledge about Him. We were created to obey him, that our wills would would obey what he tells us and, and his commandments. And we were created to love him, to delight in him. And so as we consider all of these things, we see knowledge, righteousness, and holiness uh, highlighted for us in really the, the foundational issues of what it means to be a human being. And as we consider all of those things, what was lost from the fall... What God gives to us in our redemption, what comes forth, of course, is Jesus Christ as the consummate man, the consummate human being, as he shows to us a a knowledge and righteousness and a holiness that not only do we need to have to stand before God, but also that we need in order to live uh, before his face. So let's consider all of these things as we We remind ourselves from creation to fall to redemption, considered in light of the image of God. First, we read in Genesis chapter 2 that 
man and woman, male and female, human beings, are the crown of God's creation. How did God create Adam? He created him from the dust of the ground. That's how it usually uh, comes forth in our English translations. The word there could mean earth or clay. It's the stuff of the earth. And there's no reason for us to to doubt this. In Genesis chapter 3, God says, you are dust, to dust you shall return. Obviously, we see that manifested literally, that uh, human beings, when they die, are laid to rest in the ground. They go to return whence they came, and as their bodies deteriorate, they go back uh, largely into those elements that remind us of Genesis chapter 2. We are formed from the dust of the earth, at least Adam was the man. We'll talk about the woman in a moment. Thomas Boston commenting on this. What, what, are we, what are we to learn or what should we keep in mind when we think about God made Adam from the dust? Boston says this, this should teach us humility and repress our pride, particularly glorying in beauty or any external advantages of a person seeing we are sprung of no higher original than the earth upon which we tread, especially seeing as we derived our first being from it, we must return to it again, there to abide till the resurrection day. Uh, Oftentimes when human beings are sort of sizing one another up, one of the questions is, where did you come from? And your story and those who come from uh, more high-class places, perhaps in these kinds of conversations, will uh, occupy a more impressive position, a loftier position. You know, I grew up in, in high-class America. My family had a, a home in the Hamptons or something like that. Boston's point is we all must remember that we have come, our race, the human race, has come from dust, from the earth. God is uncreated. He does not come from any elemental stuff. He is eternal. And that always reminds us that we ought to keep ourselves humble and look to to God for what we need. The creation of Adam, Genesis 2, we also read about the creation of Eve. Adam and Eve are historical. They are the first two parents of the human race. Well, where did Eve come from? Chapter 2, verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. From this rib, he creates Eve. When we read about the creation of Adam, it says that God forms the man. When we read about the creation of Eve, there is a different verb there. You could almost translate it built. God forms the man from the dust. He builds the woman. Commentators throughout the years, theologians, have thought about this. Well, what does it mean? Well, you you tend to to build structures that house people. And whether it be a palace or a home. And many theologians have seen in this a, a foreshadowing of what the woman will do. That she will bear children. Her body is a palace from which other people will emerge. But we should also consider that she was taken from man, and of course, uh, many theologians likewise have pondered the taking Eve from the rib, 
from the side of the man. One such theologian says this, that she was made of the man's body to teach men to love their wives as their own flesh. There's a lesson in there. Woman has emerged from man. We naturally love and care for our own selves. The lesson in there is that husbands are to care for their wives as their own flesh. Secondly, she was not made out of man's head to show her that she is not to be her husband's master, nor usurp authority over him, nor out of his feet to show him that she to show him that she is not to be his slave or to be trampled on by him, but out of his side, near his heart, to show him that she must be treated as his companion, loved, nourished, and cherished by him. There is no helper, it says, suitable for the man. The man has, Adam has all of the the creatures of the earth kind of paraded before him. And there is nothing that is suitable to him in the way that God is foreseeing suitableness. And so he creates woman. Woman and man then complement each other. And there's a a biblical doctrine we call complementarianism. That views men and women together as filling certain roles. They have been designed and created to do certain things. From this very account in Genesis chapter 2, this is why we see later on biblical, uh, biblical roles in the home. That man is to rule and woman is to, the wife is to submit in a loving way, in a mutually submissive way, certainly. But there is a hierarchy of authority. We also see that God did not intend this companionship to be one of of, uh, similarity. There is, is a desire to find for the man a partner who is not exactly like him, but suited to him. And so man and a woman come together because of the way that they complement one another, not because of the ways that they are similar. The intimacy of marriage is an intimacy that is not like anything else on planet earth because of the way that a husband and a wife are to complement one another. Not that the way that they are similar, right? Two men can have a friendship and they can probably have all kinds of similar conversations, similar interests that would keep them occupied for hours. Men and women, we, we have dissimilarities often. And marriage and the home is about working those out and trusting the Lord uh, to provide grace in all of those things. But when we do so rightly, we find an intimacy that goes beyond just friendship. This is why I often remind my wife that she is not my best friend. She's my wife. And uh, as my wife, I enjoy with her a closeness and an intimacy that goes beyond my best friend. I don't need her to be my best friend. I have my best friend for that. I always remind her of that. She's my wife. And the intimacy that we enjoy goes beyond that of friendship. But what we find here, of course, and it it is silly to have to say this, but of course in our world, this entire gender binary has been rejected. But what we find is God created the human race male and female. That simple. That is how he created us. 
He wants us to live our lives within that framework. Human flourishing and understanding who we are as people happens within the framework of male and female. And that's it. It really is that simple. We overcomplicate so much in our lives, in our world. Here's something that is so simple. But of course, our world has rejected this very simple binary of the human race. We've shaken our fists at God. We have told him that we are wiser than he is, that we know more than he does, that we have developed beyond his word that he inspired and gave to us. It reminds us of Jeremiah chapter 4, where the Lord is is giving this, this very condemning assessment of his people through the prophet Jeremiah. And God says that because of what they have done and shaking their fist at God, saying, calling evil good and good evil, that what he is going to do in judgment is undo the created order that he has given to them. So Jeremiah 4 says this, My people are foolish, they know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. What a phrase. We, in our world, we are wise in doing evil, aren't, aren't we? But how to do good, they do not know. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked and behold, the fruitful land was a desert and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. Jeremiah the prophet, after he says these words of the Lord, he says he looks out on the earth and it's all undone because of their evil. What we learn from Genesis 2 is that the human body is really a wonder. It's an amazing thing, directly created by hand of God, the loving hand of God. But we are so much more than bodies. We, we are more than that. We are bodies and we are souls. Today, there are many people who assume that we are we're just sort of machines with a consciousness, right? We're not much more than bodies. And the, the moral and sexual revolution of our age largely is built on that assumption, that what we do with our bodies doesn't really have any deeper implications for what is going on in the depths of who we are because there is a rejection of the idea of the soul overall. But we are more than our bodies. We are bodies and souls. God made us in his image and he knitted us together. And that doctrine of the image of God really is helpful in considering what the soul of man is and how it is to be cared for. The soul of man is connected, of course, to the image of God. We are the only creatures who are made in God's image. Human beings are also the only creatures with a soul. Well, in what does the image of God consist? Or what are the faculties of the soul? We talk about this from time to time. There are three main faculties of the soul. There is the mind, the understanding, right? Our ability to understand and to think goes beyond all the other creatures on the earth. The will, uh, the ability to, to make decisions and to have agency, that is another faculty of the soul that goes beyond the creatures. And the affections, we refer to it sometimes as the heart. It's the, the, the seat of, 
uh, what we love and our emotions. So the mind, the will, and the affections, three main faculties of the soul. Oftentimes you can read of the conscience and, and other things, but those are the three primary ones. And when we consider those faculties of the soul, we understand that we were made for knowledge and righteousness and holiness, as the Catechism says. Knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Let's consider those things together. We were created for knowledge, to know God and to know His world. What did that look like before the fall? Before the fall, Adam's knowledge was not perfect, but it was sufficient and unstained. In other words, he knew what he needed to know in order to know God, and it was not stained with any imperfections. It was mutable, it was changeable, but it was unstained. Thomas Boston says, Adam was created wise, not that he knew all things, for that would be proper to God alone. But he was ignorant of nothing that he was obliged to know. He had all the knowledge that was necessary for life and godliness. We consider this, and we understand, before the fall, Adam must have had a remarkable knowledge of God and God's world. Sometimes we think of him as, as some kind of primitive Creature. There wasn't advanced fields of study, books for him to read. Adam's knowledge before the fall must have been remarkable. We think of his understanding as Eve is brought to him, and he utters this, this prophetic word this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. We also think of the fact that he was naming all of the creatures. And in naming all of the creatures, that's an exercise of dominion. In other words, he had understanding for what these creatures existed for, what their purpose was. It's not just that he's naming them with whatever pops into his mind. Well, this is, we'll call this Sam and Bob. And No, Adam was naming them in accordance with their purpose and their function. So his understanding, his knowledge of God and God's world must have been remarkable. That's knowledge. Let's consider righteousness, the will. God made man upright. So his will was in perfect conformity to God's will. It's stunning to think about. He had full power to perfectly keep the law of God and the commandments of God. He was created with the sufficient knowledge of God and God's law and an ability to completely keep the law perfectly. Of course, now this is impossible. Our wills are corrupted. We cannot perfectly keep God's law. We are inclined towards all evil. Adam was not inclined towards any evil. Knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, the affections. Adam was not impure at all. There was nothing in him. He didn't take delight in anything that was sinful In anything that was displeasing to God before the fall, he loved what God loved and he hated what God hated. There were no impure lusts, there were no vicious appetites, no sinful desires at all. He also gave to Adam dominion. He was made to rule. He says, have dominion over the earth. God is, we see him in Genesis 1, exercising dominion. And so as those created in his image, we are to exercise dominion as well. Some general observations about these three things. This is the image of God wherein man was created, consisting in original righteousness. 
His reason was naturally subject to God. His will was subject to his reason, his affections to his will. You think about that. That's a staggering thing. He had sufficient knowledge before the fall. His will perfectly followed what he knew, and his affections perfectly followed what he did. He completely, perfectly obeyed God up until the moment of the fall. This must have been how it was if God is not the author of sin or evil. There was nothing lacking in Adam's creation. God is not the author of sin. God did not create us neutral. He created us righteous. Ecclesiastes 7 says, God made man upright. He wasn't in just a neutral state. He was in a state of righteousness. He was pleasing to God. We were created to know God, to obey God, and to delight in God. That's the, the doctrine of the image of God. I've heard it synthesized and summarized so many, so many ways. This catechism does the best job of it. We were created for knowledge and righteousness and holiness. God made us that way. We had all of those things before the fall. And now all of those things are corrupted in fallen man. So a couple of things then as we close. First is this. We need to learn to lament the change that has taken place in human beings because of the fall. We ought to know it and to grieve over it. We don't spend enough time thinking about what has been lost. But think about truly what has been lost. Our understanding is now darkened. Right? We have to seek diligently to know God. Our wills are twisted. We, all the things that we do, we don't perfectly obey God. The affections are defiled. We love the things that we ought not to love. Even when we love that which is proper, we don't do it perfectly. It reminds us of Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul, considering his own existence, he says, I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. It's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He says, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. And he cries out, says, wretched man that I am. He's lamenting over the state of fallen man. So we ought to know the change that's been brought about in us, what was lost since Adam, we ought to grieve over it. Secondly, we need to desire knowledge and righteousness and holiness. If we would be like God, if we would live like him, we must study righteousness and holiness. We must be aware of our own ignorance and unrighteousness and impurity. But if we would desire knowledge and righteousness and holiness, where are they found? They're found in Jesus Christ alone. When we come to Christ in faith, all of those things that were lost in the fall begin to be rebuilt in and through Christ. Knowledge and righteousness and holiness. Positionally, we believe in Jesus Christ and we have all the blessings that can be found in Him. So righteousness, those counted righteous in Christ, we have a perfect righteousness. But of course, given the Holy Spirit, God causes righteousness to actually grow more in us more and more and be manifested. 
As we seek to know God in Jesus Christ, that which we learn by the power of the Holy Spirit is true. And it is not stained with error. And as we live this life, we can know true and proper knowledge about God. As all of those things abound in us more and more, what do we do? We properly and rightly delight in the God who created us, in the Christ who died for us and rose again for us. He remakes and recreates all of these things, knowledge and righteousness and holiness. In Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, you're saved by grace, and then he says, you are God's workmanship. And that is a, a, a term that really connects to the idea of creation. We are the work of God's hands. Paul says that is what you are in Jesus Christ. And so the very way that this world was created to glorify God, so we are recreated in Jesus Christ to bring glory to him in our knowledge, in our righteousness, and in our holiness, properly exercising dominion as those remade in Jesus Christ. Our pursuit of good works, our pursuit of righteousness and how we glorify God is a parallel to how all of the creation glorifies God. The human race lost in the fall, but remade in Jesus Christ. There we see, finally, once again, the glory of God come front and center uh, to God's creation and God's world. For he has remade us in Christ and overcome sin in Christ to do so. So, as human beings, we must desire knowledge and righteousness and holiness if we are doing that which we were created to do. But the only way we can have those things is to seek them in Jesus Christ. So come to Christ, abide in Him, walk in Him, understand and know that as you abide in Christ, God is bringing all of these things out in your life, a greater and deeper knowledge of Him. You're created to know God greater and a deeper righteousness. In Christ, we are, we are accounted and declared righteous. But God is also creating in us a vital righteousness that will be manifested more and more. And a holiness, a pure affection and love for your creator. All of these things are abounding more and more to those who abide in Christ and walk by the Spirit. If we understand the image of God, we understand why we were created We understand what God has made us to be, to do. And if we understand Christ, we understand that that he is the one place, the one refuge that we have to see all of these things abound rightly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for another day worshiping you in your house. And we pray that as we look to your word and consider the beginning of all things, the end of all things, that we would understand what you have created us to do and to be. May we glorify you as we live out our lives as your workmanship, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's respond.